Okay, let's, let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. So I've been thinking, Lord, about that verse in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, that, that there's people who plant, there's people who water, but you're the one who causes growth. And that the people who plant, people who water, people who preach, people who lead, they're really nothing compared to the importance of you who, who makes everything happen that's lasting. And so, Lord, that's why we're asking you to come right now. I need your help. I can't do anything apart from abiding in you, Jesus. And we all need your help to have ears to hear, to have hearts that say yes to your word. We need your work. So, Lord, would you come? I pray that this morning you would just blow us away with the kind of obedience you call us to have. That this would be so encouraging and liberating and freeing. So I pray that you would do that, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. I just want to start off thinking about uh, two things about Satan, okay? Two things I want to say about Satan. One is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to fear Satan for any reason. You don't need to fear him at all because Jesus is infinitely more powerful than Satan, right? That's key. But a second thing I want to say is that we followers of Jesus do need to be keenly aware of how deceptive, how shrewd Satan is. Far more than probably all of us, me too, all of us realize. For example, we all know that Satan will like try to tempt us to like not pray, right? We know that. Satan can tempt us to, to not pray and that that would be, would be sin. But, but do we understand that Satan can also tempt us to pray in the wrong way. To pray as what Paul would call a work and not to pray from, from faith. To, to pray as a way to earn standing before God or as, or as a way to impress other people with my righteousness or as a way to, to puff myself up and feel good about my own self-righteousness. That's sin too. At least as bad as not praying at all. There's there's a world of difference between obedience that's from works and obedience that flows from faith. And we've got to get this. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I love how God loves us because this is one of the lessons that God clearly, like plain as day, illustrates for us through the nation of Israel. So we've been talking about the story of God, and we've seen that part of God's unfolding purposes was to choose a nation, Israel, place them in the center of the nations, so that through Israel, through their 1,500-year history, God could display, like on a billboard for us, crucial spiritual truths. And one of these crucial spiritual truths God wants to display through their history is the the danger of obeying God or so-called obeying God from works 
instead of from faith. So what does that mean, to obey from works? How's it different from obeying from faith? You're all here this morning uh, in church, okay? All the church is a group of people, not a meeting you go to, but anyway, you know what I mean? So you're here this morning. Are you here this morning as a work? Or are you here this morning from faith? Are you here worshiping the Lord and listening to the word as, as a work, or, as, or are you here from faith? Uh, this last week, as you've opened up the scriptures to read, were you reading as a work, or were you reading from faith? As you worked hard at your job today, which is a good thing to do, but were you, were you doing that as a work, or were you doing that from faith? Big difference between the two. So how do they differ? What's the difference? So I'm going to talk about this morning. I hope you'll leave here this morning clearly understanding what the difference is. Now, to to unpack that, let's start by thinking about what the Old Testament law taught. What did the Old Testament law teach? And to answer that question, I want you to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Go ahead and turn there. Now, if you need, need a Bible, raise your hand. As I always say, we want to have everybody have a Bible in front of them. The Bible's what's important here. My job is to introduce you to the Bible, to have you look at the Bible, have you read the Bible, okay? Romans 9, 30 to 32, it's on page 946 in the Bibles we just passed out, okay, in case you're wanting to look that up, or wondering where to look that up. Romans 9, 30 to 32, this is a crucial passage for a lot of reasons. One reason is that there's lots of people who for somehow have gotten the idea that the Old Testament teaches works. And it's the New Testament that teaches faith. But that is not the case. Couldn't be more wrong. Old Testament taught faith just as much as the New Testament teaches faith. And we'll see that here in these verses. Romans 9, starting verse 30. Paul says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. So Paul here is speaking of Rahab, for example, a Gentile who trusted God, was counted as perfectly righteous. Ruth, Moabite, trusted God, was righteous. Uh, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, trusted God, given the gift of righteousness through Christ. That's the Gentiles, verse 30. Verse 31, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because, now now get this, because they did not pursue it, they did not pursue the law by faith, but as if it were based on works. See that? So notice in verse 31, Israel did not succeed in arriving at the law, which would give perfect righteousness. Why did she not succeed? Verse 32, because she did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. So, was the law based on works? No. It was, she pursued it by work, by, as if it were based on works, which means it's not based on works. What's the law based on? Faith. I didn't hear a whole lot of confidence there. This is not a trick question. So is the law based on works? No. Thank you, Lord. It's not. Is it based on faith? Yes. So if you want to sum up the message of the law, you can put it in two words. God is saying, 
trust me. Trust my mercy. Live by faith. Trust me. Trust me. And see, that's how Paul can say in verse 31 that the law would lead to righteousness. Don't misunderstand this. How was the law supposed to lead to righteousness? Because the message of the law was what? Trust me, have faith, trust God's mercy. And just like, remember Genesis 15, 6, we talked about this a few weeks ago, what happened when Abraham believed in God? God counted it to him as a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. So the law says, faith, trust God, just like Abraham did, Genesis 15, 6. And because of what Jesus would do 2,000 years in the future, I mean, just get this, because this, this has happened to you if you're trusting Christ, or it, will, it could happen to you today if you turn to trust Christ today. The moment Abraham trusted God, because of what Jesus would do 2,000 years in the future, God did something amazing. Took all of Abraham's sin, all of his sin, past, present, future, put it upon Jesus and punished it in Jesus. So Abraham's sins are gone. The punishment due for his sins is over. And God took Jesus' perfect moral righteousness and gave it to Abraham as a gift. It doesn't mean that Abraham became perfectly morally righteous in the way he was living. You read Genesis and you see that. Okay, but what it means, he, he started becoming more righteous, really, but that's not what we're talking about here. It means that when God looked at Abraham, God saw him clothed in Jesus' perfect moral righteousness, which meant that God's omnipotent love was just moving towards Abraham. He's righteous. I love him. 24-7, pursuing him with good, with favor, with blessing, with kindness, with all the blessings that God loves to pour out. That's what Abraham experienced. That's how the law leads to righteousness because it calls us to faith. And just like Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the law is all about faith. Calls us to faith. So in the law, God stands before Israel. And here's what he says. He says, trust me, If you will turn from your other gods, if you'll turn from the other things you've sought your identity in, your security in, your heart's satisfaction in, if you will turn from those other things, those things are not God. I am God. Look at me. Look at what I've done in delivering you from Egypt. Look at me. I promise, if you will turn to me and trust me, I will perfectly love you and care for you the rest of your life and forever. I will forgive all of your wrongdoings. All of them. You'll never have even a hint of punishment from me. You'll understand more how 2,000 years from now, but trust me, I'll take care of them all. And I will clothe you with perfect righteousness as a gift, not something that's in your own life. You'll be getting more righteous, but I'm going to clothe you with perfect righteousness so for the rest of your life, I'm going to be responding to you with 110% love and favor and goodness. I will guide you. I will provide for you. I will strengthen you. I will enable you to obey. I will cause you to grow in obedience. And most important of all, I will satisfy your heart with my very presence. And I will do all of this now and forever for the rest of your life. That's what God stands before Israel and says to her, trust me, trust me, 
Trust me. Now, so where do the commands come in? Right? Every command is a command where God is saying, trust me, and this is how you will be enabled to live. Every command has as its its heart, trust me, come to me, connect with me by faith, and as you trust me, this is how I will enable you to live. This is what you'll be enabled to do. The commands show what people do, how people live, who are trusting in God. So the heart of every command in the Old Testament, just like in the New Testament, is trust, faith, trust God. Let me just give you a little bit of a picture. I heard John Piper use this illustration once, and uh, it worked for me. Let me know if it works for you. I've used this before, I think once or twice before in, in, in previous messages. But Piper said that the Old Testament law is like a train track. Now, this is not a train track, okay? But let's pretend that it is, okay? This is, it's really a ladder, but, okay, let's just pretend that this is a train track. And every command is a train track which leads you to move ahead and to connect with an engine car. We couldn't get an engine car in here this morning. That's okay. With an engine car to connect with the engine car of God by faith. So every command is a train track which leads you to connect with the engine car by faith. And when you connect with God by faith, choo-choo, okay, powers up, and, you, and you're, you're holding on to you're moving along and you're obeying the commands. Okay, every command is a track leading you to trust God. As you trust Him, you move ahead and you're you're obeying. Okay, bear with me here. All right, now let me give you some examples of how this works. God commanded Israel to pray and seek His face. Okay, all through the Old Testament, pray, seek My face, and that that command, like all the commands in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's at its heart, first of all, trust me. Come to trust me. And as you trust my promises, I will enable you to pray and seek me. So let's try this out. Let's say that you're an Old Testament Israelite and you get the, the command to pray and seek my face. And so, okay, I want to I trust God. So maybe you'd start by, by trusting God's love for you. Okay, I'm, I'm trusting your love for me. You love me. And just pondering that, trusting God's love for you would make you realize this command to pray, this is a good thing. It's flowing out of God's love for me. God with love and care in his heart says, oh, pray and seek me. This is what you need to do. This will be a good thing. This will be much better than all kinds of other things that you could be doing. Pray and seek me. So it would transform your perspective on the command. First of all, this is an outflow of his love. Then you would trust his promise, Genesis fifteen six, of the gift of perfect righteousness, which means if I'm clothed with the gift of perfect righteousness through faith alone right now, then that means I can come to God just as I am. I could talk to God like right now. I could seek him right now. I don't need to do 15 like good things to say, am I close enough yet? No, right now I can come before God. And so trusting in his gift of perfect righteousness opens the door to seeking God. You'd be trusting his promise to give you wisdom as you pray. You'd be trusting his promise to guide you in how to pray. You'd be trusting him to change your heart so you even more want to pray. You'd be trusting him to satisfy you as you pray. And that the satisfaction he gives you in his presence is far better than anything else you could do besides pray. Now, are you feeling it? So if you're trusting all these things, what are you going to do? Pray. You're going to want, I want to pray. And, and not only are you going to want to pray, you're going to pray. And so, 
The command, the law is, is based on faith. So the command to pray and seek God's face is a, is like a train track. First of all, leading you to, to connect to the engine car by faith, a heart connection of faith. And as you trust God's promises, your heart is changed. You want to pray. You're enabled to pray. You love to pray and you pray. Flowing from faith. Okay. Now let's try one more example. Uh, the Old Testament law also called Israel to care for the poor. Proverbs 14, 31, many other places. So what does the command give to the poor? What's the first thing you should be thinking? Faith, right? It's a, it's a command that's like a railroad track that leads you, first of all, to connect with the engine car of God by faith. So I'm supposed to care for the poor. First call is to trust God. And then this command shows me how trusting God will transform me so I'm enabled to care for the poor. So you start moving ahead. Okay, let's play this one out. So again, first I like to start with God's love for me. God's love for Steve Fuller says, care for the poor. This is his love for me. This is the outflow of his compassion for you. You see, every command God gives you, it's all love for you. Oh, this will be good for you. This will be good for you. I love you. Please do this. You won't believe what will happen as you do this. So it's the outflow of his love which transforms. Some of you need a transformed picture of God's commands. Big time. You gotta understand, God loves, and His commands are an outflow of His love for me. So that'll change your whole perspective on maybe caring for the poor. Then you'll, I love going next to trusting God's gift of perfect righteousness by faith alone. So I am clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness, and, and I will be as I'm trusting Him for the rest of my life. You know what that means? The rest of my life, God is gonna be loving me and caring for me and pursuing me with good with all his heart and all his soul enthusiastically pursuing me for good. And when I realize that, I am totally taken care of, right? It's like my, my future is secure. So it's his love. It's the gift of righteousness. I'm, I'm going to trust him to change my heart. So maybe I want even more to care for the poor. I'm going to trust him to satisfy me so I don't need to buy that little trinket over there. So maybe I have money to give to the poor. I'm going to trust him to part even more of his presence. So I delight in caring for the poor more and more and more generously. And when all that's happening, what happens in your heart? You want to give to the poor. You're moved to give to the poor. You give to the poor. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if you will trust God's promises, you'll give to the poor. It is psychologically impossible to trust what God has said he is here and not give to the poor. You will try as hard as you want. (laughs) You won't be able to do it. This is the power of how God has set things up to operate by faith alone. That's what the Old Testament and the New Testament also are talking about. So what I want you to see here is that the Old Testament law taught faith. It taught faith. Every command is a command, trust God first and foremost. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Have a heart connection. I'm trusting you, Father. Satisfy me. Enable me. Help me. Guide me. Equip me. Clothe me in your perfect righteousness. Help me to see your love. I'm trusting you and that as you do that, you will obey. Every command in the Old Testament calls for faith. And so if every command in the Old Testament calls for faith, your whole life will be trusting God, relying on God, depending upon God. 
your whole life trusting God, relying upon God, depending upon God. Okay, now, there's a problem with that. Big problem. Israel didn't like this. It was very hard on Israel's sinful pride. Mine too. Yours too. Okay? Because if everything in God's word is calling me to faith, everything's calling me to rely on him, that means my whole life will be depending upon God and relying on God and trusting in God. So everyone who sees Steve Fuller, okay, will see me as dependent on another, relying on another, as an unrighteous person who needs the gift of righteousness from another. My whole life will be seen as dependence and relying on God. But I like to be seen as independent. I really like it when you think I'm self-reliant. Right? Do you feel that? And so here God's word to Israel was, trust me, depend upon me, rely on me. You do not know what you will experience if you'll do this. And Israel said, well, we've seen how, how amazing you are, but I'd rather be independent, thank you, and self-reliant, thank you. And we're not down on Israel here. That's the same thing you and I have done too. So, what did Israel do then? Here's, here's the law. Every command is a call to rely on God, depend upon God, trust in God. What did Israel do? Israel distorted the law. Israel took the Old Testament law and just, ah, there. How? Look at verse 32 again. You'll see. Here's how they did it. Now, again, don't get down on Israel here because the punchline of this is going to be, we do this too. Okay, so before we start feeling too good here, okay, just want to warn you. How did Israel do this? Verse 32. Why did Israel not arrive at the law which would lead to righteousness? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. The law taught faith. They didn't want faith. They wanted works. We like works. Now, what's works? Works is a word that Paul uses mostly in a negative way in the New Testament when, in Paul's writings. And works are any actions which are taken or which are motivated not from a desire to trust in God, but they're motivated from a desire to exalt myself. That's what a work is. Any action that's taken, it's motivated not from a desire to trust in God, but as a way to, it's, it's motivated by a desire to exalt myself. It's, it's any action taken where my, I'm not connected to God, to Jesus, New Testament. We see God more clearly in Jesus. He's revealed himself in Jesus, so it's Jesus now. Any action that doesn't have a heart connection to Jesus by faith, that's what a work is. So picture it like this. Here's the law which God gave to Israel. Every command leads me to trust him. Leads me to depend upon him. Leads me to receive from him. He'll transform me. Israel says, we don't, we don't like this. This leaves me too dependent, too, too relying on another. I want to be independent, self-reliant. We, we don't want faith. We want work. So, so they, 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 they took this, this train track and they jerked it up out of the ground. 
And they said, this is going to be much better. They put it down here, and they said, now that's the kind of command I can get excited about. Okay? Because when I obey this command, what happens? I'm, I'm moving on up. Okay? I'm getting a little closer to you, God, right? Okay, I'm, you like this? Getting a little more righteous here before you? And, and notice all those poor people down there. Oh, you poor unrighteous people. See me? See me? Oh, I love this law. This is awesome. I am so self-reliant and I'm so independent now and I'm so above everybody else. How holy, how righteous I am. Now, again, I've done this this past week. And you have too, so we're not dissing on the Israelites here, okay? Totally or exclusively. So that's what Israel did. They took the law of faith and they twisted it and distorted it. And there, perfect. Now, if you doubt that, let me give you some examples. Turn to Luke 18, 9 through 13. I'm going to give you two examples of how Old Testament Israelites thought in their distorted way, and we've done the same thing, that they were obeying God's law, and yet what they are doing bears no relation to the Old Testament whatsoever. Luke 18, this is page 877 in the Bibles we passed out. Jesus, verse 9, he, Jesus, also told this parable to some, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's very important to understand. And treated others with contempt. So here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. They're in church. Say, okay. One a Pharisee, Old Testament Israelite religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, oh, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. Now this man thinks with the way pride can distort our thinking. He thinks he's praying. He thinks he's praying. But he's praying from works, not from faith. Do you see that there there is no heart connection of faith in God at all? There's nothing. He's just talking to the Sky. God's not, there's no, there's no connection with God there. Verse 9 says he's trusting in himself that he's righteous. He's trusting in himself to be righteous before God. So his very act of going into the temple and praying is a way to exalt himself before God, right? So even by praying here, God, I'm doing this to earn favor from God. I'm doing this to exalt myself above other people. I'm doing this to feel better about my own righteousness. So there's nothing of God. It's just simply actions that he takes. But see, do you see that this prayer, this prayer, bears no relation whatever to prayer in the Old Testament. 
Is that what God wanted us to do when he says, call upon him and pray? (laughs) Not even close. That's totally distorted praying. That's what Israel did for the most part. Another example. Look at Matthew chapter, oh wait, no, no, no. Before we go on, verse 13. There is some real praying here. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh man, connection. See, he's trusting God. He knows he's not righteous. He knows everything he needs, he will only get from God himself. I have nothing to bring to to the table. I'm trusting you. Okay, there they go. All right. I love how, isn't Jesus just brilliant? How he does this, he just nails it. Oh, nails me. Oh, man. Okay, another example. Matthew 6, verse 2. Page 811 in the Bibles we just passed out. I hope you're feeling the tragedy. How could Israel take the good law where God says, trust me, trust my love, trust my gift of righteousness, my provision, my wisdom, my heart satisfaction. Trust me, trust me, and I'll be devoted to caring for you for eternity. And they say, well, we don't like that. And they twist it into a system of works where there's no God left in it at all. Here's another example, Matthew 6, 2. Thus, this is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This should just stun us. There were hypocrites at the time of Jesus in the synagogues and in the streets, who, when they were going to be giving money to care for the poor, I'm giving to the poor, okay? In my humble generosity here, all right, I'm giving to the poor. Are you all noticing? Because we see why. It was that they may be praised by others. The eyes were not on God, Humble connection to him, his love, his gift of righteousness, his heart satisfaction, my love for him, my, my feeling his love for me so it overflows in love for, the, for others, so I want to give to the poor. None of that. Just look at me. Look at my righteousness. Sounding a trumpet before they give. So do you see that that kind of giving, you know, you're... You're giving to exalt yourself so that others will be impressed. Wow, he's giving to the poor. Okay, wow, he's giving to the poor. Yes, it's working. See, that kind of giving bears no relation at all to what the Old Testament called for. Do you see that? It's it's not at all the train track which leads you to connect to God by faith. I trust you, Father. You call me to give. I trust your love. I trust your gift of righteousness. I'm secure in you. You're going to care for me forever. Help me to be more satisfied in you. Break the power of love of money off of me. Satisfy me with yourself so I will be free to give. Oh, thank you, Lord, you're doing it. I'm giving. Thank you. More of you. 
That's how it works. Old Testament and New Testament. So here's, here's just the crucial lesson we need to learn. From 1,500 years of Israel's history, God gave Israel a good law. Good law. Oh, how I love your law. David said, it's my meditation all the day. It's not a call to works. David wouldn't love that kind of a law. It's a, it's a call to faith. I love that law. It's a call to connect with God by faith. That's the whole Old Testament. God gave him a good law. But Israel took the law of faith and distorted it into a law of works, made it into a system by which they could exalt themselves before God, earn credit, earn righteousness, earn blessings from God, a system by which they could exalt themselves above other people and feel good about their righteousness in relation to other people. The reason this is crucial for us to think about is because we do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. I mean, we'd never blow a trumpet before you'd give your offering. That'd be too bizarre. Okay. That wouldn't fit our culture, but there's all kinds of ways we do it. Israel took the commands of the Old Testament, which called for faith, turned them into a system of works. We've taken the commands in the gospel, which call for faith in Christ, and we've turned them into a system of, of works. So how can we tell we're obeying from works? How could I tell to look back on this last week? How could you tell to look back on your past week? Here's what I think is helpful. We're obeying from works... Whenever we obey a command with no conscious heart connection of trust in Jesus. That's it. That's works. If I'm, if I'm obeying a command, or I think I'm obeying a command, when there's no conscious heart connection of trust, faith in Jesus. And the reason is because if there's no heart connection of trust in Jesus, that means he's not my motivation for obeying. There's some other motivation for obeying either earning from him or exalting my righteousness before other people or just feeling better about my own self, self-righteousness. And this is really, really common. I would guess some of you were raised in churches which did not make the distinction between works and faith. And you may have been taught that that's the Christian life, is Doing things as duties. Doing things without any conscious heart connection of faith. But so think about this. Just as you came here today, okay, here you are in church. God says, you know, gather with God's people. You're here. You're obeying that command, okay? Are you here today, honestly, straight up, are you here today as a work? Or are you here today from faith? Let me give you some examples of... Uh, Here's what it would mean to be here by faith. You woke up this morning. You know, God calls you to be part of a family of believers. And so, oh, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you. Would you work in my heart today as I'm at Mercy Hill? Would you meet me through the worship? Would you meet me with your presence? I'm discouraged about this job thing or this financial thing. Would you show me your faithfulness so clearly that I am at peace? 
peace and I'm glorifying you and I'm freed from worry. And the Lord, as I listen to the word, would you work in my heart to show me more of who you are? I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm going because I want more of you. Would you meet me this morning? Enable me? Strengthen me? Maybe I've had a terrible week. Maybe didn't sleep much. Kids were up last night. God, strengthen me. I don't even know if I want to go. Help me want to go. See, all of that is faith, right? That's faith. You hear from faith. Or did you come this morning? Well, I'm supposed to. And uh, I'd feel really bad about myself, like really guilty if I wasn't at church. I'm a church-going guy. I, people should go to church. I go to church. And that's why I'm here. That's a work. That's a work. Or, if what's in your heart is, uh, well, if I didn't go, dang, what would my home group think of me if I wasn't there? They'd all be like calling me and, dude, what's up? You know, no, I was sick. You know, can't do that. Okay, I'll, I'll go. It's better. That's a work. Right? Or, my job's on the line, rumors of layoffs, man, I've got to do whatever I can to get on God's good side here. I think I'll go to church. That's a work. And I would guess that all of us, me, all of us, do things every week that are not motivated by a conscious heart connection with the living Jesus. Uh, Let me just bring this into a New Testament context. Uh, Who's the vine and who's the branches? Who's the vine? Who's the branches? Okay. What can you do apart from being stuck in in the vine? Well, that sounds exactly like what we're talking about, doesn't it? The only way you can do anything pleasing to God is by faith in Jesus. If you're abiding in the vine. If you're here because you don't want your home group to wonder where you are, you've just done nothing. It's worse than nothing, other passages would say. Right? We've got to be in the vine. Okay? But see, listen, truth, truth is, folks, you are a branch. Okay? You need a vine. You're not a vine. You're a branch. Okay? Fess up. All right? We're all needy branches. We need all the time, okay? Nutrients, all right? I'm not like, okay, so we can't do anything. Here's another verse, just to, back, just to drive this home. Hebrews 11.6 says, or first of all, what, what is Hebrews 11? It is the what chapter? The faith chapter. What kind of people are talked about in Hebrews 11? Old Testament people who all did what? They had faith. Because, Hebrews 11.6, without faith, Faith, it is impossible to please him. If you're here this morning, in church, not from faith, God is not pleased. And I say that not to just get all beat up, but this could be so liberating for you. Some of you, your Christian life is a rut of duty. Oh, If you could see that now and be freed from that and climb out of that rut. It's beautiful up here. Okay, and and I'm in that rut with you much of the time. Duty, habit, my job. I got some extra reasons why I got to deal with this stuff, okay? This is reality that we've all got the reasons why we can just sit, sink into just doing the thing. Let's see 
what he calls us to. So some of you, I hope you're seeing it. How much of your Christian life is just duty? Which is, well, I've got to do it because I'd feel bad if I don't, or what would people think, or I'm, just, I'm a Christian guy, you know, or whatever it might be. That is not at all. <laughs> this book doesn't know anything about that. It's like, huh? Where did I say that, God says? Did I say that somewhere here? I don't think so. It's nowhere in here. Faith, trusting him. Okay, this isn't any questions. This, this must have raised some questions, okay? That's such a great question, and I'm so glad I read this psalm this last week, and I asked the same question. I'm so glad. Uh, here's the answer. It, by the way, let, let these kinds of questions percolate up because they're helpful, okay, to, to fine-tune. The verse that... So David could just be saying, like, the latter thing, right, to God. It's possible. You, we could take those verses that way. That's the question you're raising, okay? But notice verse... Um, 32. This really struck me. Let's start in verse 31. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. That doesn't answer all the questions you raised there, but it does, wow, okay, it does change the equation substantially, right? Because David in this same psalm is recognizing by the way, uh, side note here, the word blameless is a troubling word in the Bible. And uh, I mean, there's scholars that are bril- far more brilliant. I mean, that's not even going to sound bad. There's people that are just like brilliant, and there's me, okay? Um, yeah. The word blameless is the Hebrew word tamim. Joshua can maybe help us out in this, okay? And it doesn't mean... Uh, Moral perfection. How could David say that? Um, how could Abraham, how could God say, you've walked blamelessly before me to Abraham? How can he say that? And I'm troubled that Bible translators translate it blamelessly because it's the word tamim, which has the word of being uh, wholehearted, being singular, having one passion, having your heart united in one pursuit. Anyway, just to throw that out there. So, uh, I, I, th- I think just to throw in something else in the, r- in the mix here to stir this soup of Psalm 18 is that David is acknowledging that God has made his way blameless, which does change the equation. Why was David blameless? Because of God's work in his heart. So that, that pulls the, that kind of sucks the self-righteousness out of this. Okay? So, that's what I'll lay out there for that. Okay? doesn't totally answer all the questions, but I think it's the main, that's the, that's the one that helped me answer it mostly. I totally agree, but you also had faith before the doing, because you prayed. You had a heart connection with Jesus before you did, and you said, my heart doesn't want to do this, would you help me? Right? That's faith! Right? That's awesome. So it wasn't just that faith came after, and you're raising a really good question, what do you do if you just don't want to do something? You just go, well, you know, I would want to do it from works, so I'm just, I'll go watch what's on TV, you know? Um, no, well, I mean, if God leads you to what, some good football games on this afternoon, but anyway, uh, different, different issue. Um, what you should do is exactly what Maria did. You connect to Jesus by faith and say, would you change my heart? I know you want me to serve these people. I don't want to right now. 
Would you help me? And depending on, like if, if, if you've got to go right now, then you just say, okay, my heart's not changed yet, but I'm going to trust you. And you go. And he can change your heart in the doing or after the doing. Or if you've got more time, you could stay before him until your heart gets changed more. But what you did was exactly right. But I just want to point out that your faith came from the doing, but you also definitely had faith before the doing and in the doing. Right? I mean, what do you do when you don't want to go to church? You say, well, God, help me. Change me. Meet me as I'm here. Hypocrisy is like, I'm doing great. I'm fine. I'm loving it. You know, that's hypocrisy. Faith is, I'm not doing great. I'm not fine. I need you. Help me. Meet me. And the Lord's pleased with that. Yeah, the, yeah the, that's why, I mean, the way it's helped me to discern it the most in my own heart is just to simply say, am I consciously trusting you, Jesus, right now? If I am, then works aren't there. So to me, that's really, really simple. So, I mean, yes to what you said, and I think you're right, but, but uh, and, and you do this, you, you'd move from thinking, I want to go to church because that's where the vine, that's where I connect to the vine. You don't, I know you don't just do that. You think, Jesus, I want to go because I want to connect with you there. Would you meet me there? That's what you do. So you talk to him. If you're talking to Jesus by faith, it's not works. Unless, I that'd probably, that'd probably be overstated too, but you know what I mean? If you're talking to him from humble faith, then it's not, it's not works. Works can't get in because the connection's there. Your motivation's there. You're, you're depending upon him. And so you won't be doing this. Yes, exactly. As long as you do it the way you just did it, right? Because it's, it's his work. It's Lord, thank you. You helped me to love this person yesterday. For Steve Fuller to be loving like that, that is unbelievable. You are awesome. Right? I mean, I'm serious. Because I know, man, I'm so proud. And it's just, ooh, man, it just give me an inch. I'll just take it, okay? But see, that, so you can rejoice in, Lord, thank you. You helped me to love yesterday. I don't think, I mean, this is, you read the passage, but I think Jesus just, this guy is just completely out to lunch. So, everybody's going to hear me now. Thank you, God. Wow, he's thanking God. What a thankful man. Did you all get that? Okay. I don't think he was thanking God. <laughs> I, no. God was like, ah, you know. <laughs> so that's, I mean, is that, okay, all right. Let's stand up. I want us to, to pray over this. Again, I'm just, I'm praying. I mean, I need this badly. You need this badly. This is so liberating. Oh, man, how much of your Christian life is just duty and habits? Let's get freed from that this morning. And the way you get freed is by asking Jesus to help you. It's by fighting to see every command as a command to have a heart connection of faith with Jesus. And then it's by just doing heart checks throughout the day. Am I consciously trusting Jesus? That's, that's how I've been growing in this this last week as I've been thinking more deeply about this. So Lord, I pray that you would help us now. Jesus, there's, I'm sure there's some here who've never had any heart connection of trust in you at all. And you love them and you care about them and you offer them complete forgiveness and a, the gift of perfect moral righteousness as a gift. And relationship with you, best of all. So Lord, would you right now have them just sense the good news of who you are, 
that they would turn and trust you and be saved. And Lord, for those here who are seeing that much of their life is just duty and habits and willpower and gritted teeth, oh Lord, would you help us, Lord, get freed from that so that we would be living by faith, not just justified by faith, but living by faith, obeying by faith. I pray that you'd help us with this. Lord, we repent over how we have turned the gospel from a gospel of faith into a gospel of works in so many areas of our lives. No more. No more. We want to be branches abiding in you all the time trusting you all the time consciously in relationship with you all the time so put this upon us lord i pray